stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. It was June 19th of this year. The guilty verdict came down for Keith Ranieri, who was the leader of the now notorious cult Nexium. Here was the prosecutor that day talking about the verdict and its significance. Go federal jury here in the Eastern District of New York returned verdicts convicting Keith Ranieri on all counts in his federal indictment. With these convictions, Ranieri stands convicted of racketeering, sex trafficking, and related crimes. Over the last seven weeks, this trial has revealed that Ranieri, who portrayed himself as a savant and a genius, was in fact a master manipulator, a con man, and the crime boss of a cult-like organization involved in sex trafficking, child pornography, extortion, compelled abortions, branding, degradation, and humiliation. Nexium had existed for 20 years and involved some pretty influential and powerful people. Claire Bromfin, the heir to the Seagram fortune. Allison Mack, a well-known actress. They were actively involved. There were others uh, from the world of show business. A Canadian actress and playwright by the name of Sarah Edmondson got involved with Nexium in 2005. And was one of the first big voices, eventually, a dozen years later, to speak out about it. Not before she rose through the ranks. And not before she was one of the women who was branded, literally branded. Well, she tells her story in a fascinating and important new book. It's called Scarred. The true story of how I escaped from Nexium, the cult that bound my life. Joining us on the line is... The author of this book, Sarah Edmondson. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I mean, obviously, this is a deeply, deeply personal story for you. This is a big chunk of your life. Uh, but it's, it's a story I think people want to hear, maybe need to hear. But why, why did you want to share the story this way? Well, you know, it took me some time post-leaving Nexium and healing and, and trying to just get back to my former identity. Yeah. Um, and then once I got regrounded, I realized that I'd gone through this crazy experience and I felt like I had a important message to share, which is this can happen to anybody. And unless you're educated, it's, um, these groups like this are very pervasive and there's, there's thousands of them all over North America. Mm-hmm. I just really felt like if I just went back to my life and pretended it never happened, it would be doing a disservice um, for other people who could be vulnerable, but also, you know, being involved so heavily for so many years, I also felt a big personal responsibility to, you know, A, clean up my mess, help people mm-hmm. that that were, had gone through what I'd gone through, and then help further people, you know, in the future of going through the same thing. Yeah. So, That's interesting. Lots of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you say your former identity, I mean, did, did you feel like you sort of lost uh, a sense of who you were? You, you became someone else? Did you sort of think as of yourself as, you know, there was Nexium, Sarah, and, and Sarah, two different people? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually one of the things I've, I've kind of come to terms with in my 
post-cult uh, therapy and healing, there's one particular, I mean, there's been a number of experts that have helped me, but one of them, Stephen Hassan, um, wrote a book called Combating Mind Control, and he talks very specifically how once you're indoctrinated in a group, there's a cult identity, and that's very, it's not a totally different person, but it's not the the authentic identity of the person. So I definitely see myself as pre-Nexium and then Sarah and Nexium, and now I'm I'm out again and and uh, finding it, figuring out or reconnecting with who I was originally. And I it definitely see it, it's all it is a very distinct personality difference, although drawn on my original personality, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people think of the term cult, and they think of, you know, cult in a religious context. A cult leader claims to be God or claims to be a prophet of God. Um, but that, that's one version of a cult. Obviously, Nexium was a very different kind of, of organization. Keith Ranieri, a different kind of, of cult leader. But when you got brought in, and, you know, the idea that Nexium was this, this marketing company, it was about excellence in your life, what, what did you take it to, to be or, or represent at the time? Yeah, I mean, it definitely wasn't any sort of religious or or spiritual group. Um, It's something that I've since learned in my, again, in my educated, in having to educate myself, there's a type of cult called large group awareness training. And there's tons of of, uh, different sort of offshoots of things that that have been percolating since the 70s. They keep changing their names to different, to different groups, but ultimately they offer uh, personal, like you said, personal excellence, personal and professional development. What I thought I was getting into was a, a an educational system that helped people to break through limiting beliefs, to transform their lives, to become the person that they wanted to be. Which I think sounds pretty great, you know. And I don't, I don't yeah. think there's anything wrong with that. And there, there are groups that actually do that out there in the world. Um, and I, I think to a degree, Nexium did truthfully offer that, but that's the outside of a group, um, how groups like this work. They need to offer something of value so that people are are compelled to keep going and to take more classes and to be a part of the other thing I thought I was getting involved with was, was community, right. which was a big draw for me, a community of like-minded people who were successful and supporting each other with their goals. All of those things, It's an, and another reason why I decided to write the book is because I want people to feel, you know, inspired to do those things without feeling like they have to spend thousands of dollars to join a group or take classes or follow some guy, you know, that, um, and that's another red flag. So there's one guy who purports to be, to, to have all the answers and, and, and offer a system that answers every question in the world. And that's a red flag. Right. Absolutely. I would think, too, being an actress where, you know, what's what's the next role? What's my next part? What's my next thing? Where's that breakthrough going to come? I mean, you're constantly on edge. You're constantly looking for for the next breakthrough. You're kind of your, your own boss in a lot of ways. So I could see how, you know, the idea of getting a leg up or, you know, giving yourself more confidence, given what you're doing for a living, that that, that would have been additionally attractive, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I think that that's probably one of the reasons why so many actors and, well, artists in general, um, found their way to Nexium because it offered a confidence and offered a framework for success that was separate from, unfortunately, being an artist, especially an actor, you're dependent on other people to give you work unless you're making your own work. And uh, it offered us a place where we could feel more in control of our lives and and also filled that 
at least for me, filled a void that I was experiencing at the time when I got involved for, I was, I was really striving for more meaning and more purpose. And I've always loved helping people and camp counselor and things like that growing up. And this was like, oh, wow, this is an amazing way I can help people. And I have meaning in my life. And it all filled out my acting career. Yeah. So as as the years go by, it, it, I've heard it described almost, you know, like you're, you're like in, in martial arts where you move up to the next belt, you get all the way up to black mm-hmm. belt. It, it was kind of like that within Nexium, wasn't it? And then you sort of you worked your way up the, the hierarchy. Exactly. And that was, um, again, another red flag when they presented these sashes to us that marks different levels of growth within the company. So at first, this is something that I really didn't like, and I was I was quite triggered by. And one of the one of the things they said right at the beginning is, if you have a reaction to anything, it means that there's an issue that you need to work on. And I remember saying, I don't like these sashes; it's very strange. And they said, Well, just like the just like a mar- just like the martial arts system, taekwondo, judo, whatever. There's there's a system for growth that measures where you are um, in in your personal and professional development. And just like everything that's weird in Nexium, you, if you accept that this is something, um, well, if you accept that the, let me backtrack. If you trust the person telling you what this is, then you go along with the system, which is what I did. And eventually that became very normalized and actually eventually became something that I really was into, wanting to get to the next level and liking the measurement and liking the fact that I could know what I needed to do to go up to the next level, which, uh, of course, as an actor, you never have anything like that. You never really even know why you get a job right. or don't get a job. So, yeah, I, I got to the level of green sash, which probably doesn't mean anything to anybody else. But for me, it was uh, many years of hard work. And another thing that I learned from the, call, the, the many called experts I've, I've been studying, it's something that they used to uh, reward and punish people to keep people motivated and to keep people keep people feeling like they had to keep working and striving to be better 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 but also in that hamster wheel they don't have time to really think right about what they're doing well and, and there's that and there's also the the blackmail side because as you get deeper mm-hmm. and deeper and there's more and more red flags and people would say well why just get out of there just leave but explain mm-hmm. this concept of of collateral within Nexion. right so even I'd say three or so years, four years before DOS and the women's group and everything that's you know been in, in the news cycle recently, Keith introduced this concept of collateral, which was that you would put down something just like you would at a, at, if you were taking a loan out at the bank. If you were say, I'm gonna I'm asking for this loan, I'm gonna put my house right. down as collateral. He had us doing similar things for our goals. If I don't complete, you know, let's say I'm making a weight loss goal or, a, you know, writing a business plan goal or whatever it was, I'd put something down against my word. Like if I don't do this, I'm going to uh, give a thousand dollars to this person or something mm-hmm. like there was something on the line. And truthfully, I kind of went along with that. And I just, this is something I'm recognizing about myself in my cult identity. I was very obedient Outwardly, but inside, I, I, at this point, I was starting to go. This is ridiculous. This is a personal development program. Like this is a little, this is a little much inside my inside voice. Yeah. But I never, I never would have voiced that because that was you. You weren't allowed to speak critically without having some sort of punishment. So I learned to sort of go along with things and use the part of the the tool set that I that helped me and that I did think was good. 
Um, but all this to say collateral became a very normalized thing. People would, would put things on the line and, and then also start to use, use collateral in a penance form. So people start doing things like, if I don't do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to have cold showers for the week. So self-punishment type of penance. Yeah, but Which, eventually, uh, I mean, yeah, that became yeah. secrets. That became things you're saying yeah. about your family. That becomes, at one point, even naked pictures uh, of you. Yes, yes, which is like, you know, part of licking my wounds and, and stepping away from this has been obviously very challenging, but I've had to go like, how did this happen? And when anyone with a non, you know, who's not part of this group will go, well, if somebody asks you for a naked picture, you don't do it. You say no, but I think it's one of the, one of the reasons why you know I wrote the book is to 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 give the details that lead up to a decision like that. How does somebody get indoctrinated to the point where they say okay? And trust me, this is not. I didn't hand this over you know within seconds. It took me a number of days mm-hmm. of Lauren convincing me and me saying I don't feel good about this. I feel nauseous actually, and her saying well that means you're doing it right, which is something that they taught us. Uh, you know, from the beginning, if you feel uncomfortable with something, it means you're you're hitting an issue, and it means you're you know we need to work on that. So my discomfort was used as the reason to do this to do the thing to give her the photo to go along with with the steps. Um, but it also came from somebody. You know, Lauren was my best friend. She was my maid of honor. She was somebody I really trusted. And of course, now looking back, it was obviously a very bad decision. But at the time, it was framed in such a way that it was for my growth. It was part of the secret group. It was sort of exciting. It was, you know, very framed very differently. And, and right. that was part of the, the manipulation that um, was revealed in the trial as being the sort of basis of the, you know, the things that these people are now being um, sent to jail for. And and she plays a key role then in what is obviously a kind of a, a pivotal moment here in, in all of this. Uh, and, and for you, which was uh, obviously a horrifying experience that you, you, you do share in quite uh, in, in a lot of detail in the book, but it was in a way also the kind of the beginning of the end. But the, the experience of being branded, mm-hmm. um, and I can only imagine what that was like, but it, it did... It, it did start to mark kind of the, the breaking point in a way for you, wasn't it? Do you, do you sort of trace it back to that? Yes. I mean, it's definitely one of the main the main things that woke me up, although it wasn't until about six weeks later that I was actually fully awake. Um, there's another actually cult expert, Yanya Lalit. She talks about how when one is waking up from a cult, it's a similar thing from waking up from realizing you're in an abusive relationship. It's not always one thing that happens. It's certain things over time. And if you can imagine there's an event or a, a moment for me, obviously the branding, it's like that, that moment or that event gets put on the shelf and you, you kind of can't wrap your head around it because you're still indoctrinated or drinking the Kool-Aid or, you know, in, in, yeah. in the case of a relationship, you're still committed to the relationship. You know, it's got to work. I invested so much. And then one day something happens and the whole shelf falls down. And for me, the shelf breaking, you know, wake up moment didn't happen until I had a conversation with the person who actually brought me in originally. And together we put put the pieces um, together of the puzzle and were able, that's when I fully woke up. And that that's when I realized ultimately everything that's weird, you know, the sashes and the collateral and the pendants and the branding, all of these things were 
framed as positive and towards growth. No pain, no gain, even the branding. And when you understand that all of that's now put together by someone who's a sociopath and a narcissist and a sex addict and all the things we now know about Keith, all of those things are now no longer positive. So I woke up and I woke up very quickly and I snapped out of it within hours. Right. And and just so people are clear, you you were never with Keith, but he no. he intended to have you. That was the point of getting you in into DOS. That was the point of having you branded. This this was all part of his his process, wasn't it? Yes, I mean that's what it that's what it appears to be based on what we found out in the trial. And and up until the trial, I I could only speculate that. I, you know, I didn't know if it was that or he, they just got he just got cocky and wanted to brand a bunch of women and and who knows. But it, it seemed like that. Yeah, that was the case. And that was obviously quite disturbing to find out. Yeah. And the branding. I mean, it's it's his initials and, and Alice Max initials, right? We actually don't. For sure, it's his initials. We don't know for sure if it's Allison's. That's something that has been um, speculated. But right. in the trial... Lauren said that it, that was a coincidence, but I, knowing Keith, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think he put his her initials in the monogram so that she would take the fall for this, which she did when she she actually lied to a reporter um, for the New York Times Magazine and said that it was her idea, and which we now know, of course, is not was not her idea. Right. She was just the front person for it. But that's what Keith did. He he had a, had people on the front lines going out and doing his bidding. Uh, we call it flying monkeys. He had a lot of flying monkeys, like from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> right. You know, and <laughs> when we see him publicly, you know, once he's been arrested and, and is on trial, it's hard for people to imagine. I mean, how, does, how does this person, who now just seems so defeated, the, the power that he held over so many people, what, what was it about Keith? I think he was a master manipulator. And uh, he has, you know, since learning about how sociopaths work or psychopaths as well, they don't have any morality and they don't have a conscience so i think that he's willing to do things that you or i and and normal people can't even imagine and ultimately when you trust somebody and you assume that they're telling the truth that that's the foundation for a very destructive relationship ultimately because you you underestimate their capacity to lie and he was lying as well as being um very charismatic and very intelligent and intelligent. Unfortunately, he used his intelligence to um, garner sex and power and destroy people's lives for his own um, covering his own sense of you know impotency and lack of power, it seems. Yes. Um, but just like all the other cult leaders, and I've, I've been studying them um, for a couple of years now, there, there's a similar upbringing uh, in terms of major loss, losing a parent at a young age, uh, some sort of highly intelligent um, background, finding some skill that they can use to garner attention, and that turns into some sort of deep striving for power to cover up this very dark void of nothingness or unworthiness, it seems like. And I think he learned how to use his intelligence and use his... um, his ability to manipulate specifically women to to get what he wanted. And um, unfortunately, he also learned that he could surround himself with people that would pump it, you know, pump his tires and, and lift him up like a, a Greek chorus. And all these women who I trusted um, and many other people trusted made him out to be somebody he was not. I mean, yeah. I, like, you, like, you know, from the book, I thought he was 
they told we were taught that he was celibate, that he didn't need sex. So I mean, it's just you know so crazy. It is. So yeah. you, you get to you kind of have that that fork in the road moment. You you you've mm-hmm. kind of awakened to what Nexium is. You you've taken the steps, made the decision to get out. But it, you know, as you as you phrase it in the book, do I slip away quietly or do I blow this thing up? That's a big moment because mm-hmm. you could be gone, cut all ties, and, and get on with your life. But mm-hmm. you know what comes with blowing this thing up is all the exposure, the people inside turning on you, potentially even mm-hmm. yourself getting into trouble. That was a big big decision mm-hmm. for you. It was, a, it was probably the biggest decision of my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, part of the decision was recognizing how many women had been brought into this group and how many people that I felt responsible for that I had, you know, um, worked with in my, my little community here in Vancouver who had also given, you know, nude photos that now I know now that, that at the fork in the road, I figured out had, had actually gone to Keith. And I was, you know, I was furious, Rob. Like I had a rage inside me that I've never experienced before. And just as I had been so committed to building Nexium and spreading the quote, you know, the good word, as it were, I became just as committed in, in those moments into taking it down. And, you know, my, my family around me really were worried because it's, like you said, it's a big, dangerous decision. We didn't know. What was going to happen, as you know from the book, you know, Claire mm-hmm. tried to have me arrested on completely trumped up charges. Um, but it was, I mean, looking back, I, I still believe it was the right thing to do. And I'm, I'm glad that I did it. And honestly, in that fork in the road, like what I knew of and what I knew it next seemed to be and what we were exposing was not even 10 percent of what came out in the trial. Wow. So. I'm glad yeah. <laughs> made that well, decision. Well, and I mean, I, I think, you know, history will, will vindicate you, I think, because we, we now see what, what Keith was, and, and he's been held right. to account for what he did, and, and that was yeah. huge. What, what was that moment like, you know, hearing the, the verdict guilty? Oh, man, and you, it, they, that verdict was incredibly vindicating, and I will tell you truthfully, even up until that point, because of my indoctrination, every now and then, even though I knew what I knew, I would still have in the back of my mind because this is what they taught us to question. And they always had us on shaky ground. What if I'm wrong? What if he is doing these things with good intent? And I, I'm, I missed, I missed the message, right. you know, like, yeah. so even up until a year into, you know, leaving and then finally with the trial, it just was such closure for me to finally hear it from, you know, the, the mouth of the, the mouth of the judge and the FBI and announcing it to the media it was incredibly vindicating. It was a huge relief because, you know, we've been screaming from the rooftops for two years that this is going on. Just to have it legitimately wrap up in the way that it did was uh, a huge relief. That being said, there are still people who are loyal to Keith and think that this whole thing was set up and that the, the FBI are corrupt and he's, you know, gravely mis- misunderstood. His, his practices may be unconventional, but he's he's a good man. And it, that's really hard yeah. to believe because, you know, it it's so been, clear. Right, sure. Yeah. It must have been a different kind of feeling, though, I would imagine, uh, you know, for someone like Lauren Salzman, who you were so close to, and others who, who you were friends with and trusted, when, when they're, well, uh, in many cases, pleading guilty, but, you know, the guilt for them and them being held accountable, was it a very different kind of feeling? Yeah, it's a different feeling because Lauren and kind of everybody around Keith in many ways are also victims 
of his manipulation. Um, and I, I'm sad for her. I mean, in some weird way, I'm even sad for not Keith as an adult, but like the little boy version of Keith who, you know, had a messed up childhood and mm-hmm. went this direction. You know, I have empathy for that part of him, not for who he is as an adult and he deserves to be in prison. And along that vein, I would say also for Lauren and Allison and, and people who, who outright lied and tried to destroy people, you know, they need to be held accountable, but it's, it's but I, but I still feel sad. I feel, you know, heartbroken for their families and for anyone who was touched by this and has gone through pain. It's, it's Keith really ruined many people's lives and that's horrific. And I'm, you know, I, I mean, it's, a, it's something I'll probably live with for the rest of my life, but, you know, my yeah. role in that. Well, yeah, and I mean, in, in many ways, as the title implies, scars, right? Physically, mm-hmm. metaphorically, that's that that's there. And I mean, I would imagine, is, though, that, that, you know, the healing, the moving on, that that's an ongoing process for you, isn't it? It is. It is an ongoing process. And ironically, I'm actually seeing a surgeon this afternoon to have it, to have the really? scar completely removed. Yeah, and it's time. Yeah. Well, the book is called Scarred, the true story of how I escaped Nexium, the cult that bound my life. Sarah Edmondson, thank you so much for making some time for us here. Really appreciate this conversation. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I appreciate the very thoughtful and um, empathetic questions. So thank you. <laughs> Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.